You're listening to Kokona Park Alliance Church. About uh, when my wife Luann were first married. Today we're going to be looking at Psalm 73, and it's in that printout, and you can follow along. I'll be reading from it in a little bit. But first of all, I want to give you an introduction, okay? Uh, tonight we're going to be talking about, uh, I've entitled this little talk, uh, Compare and Despair. And when we compare ourselves to other people, it's easy to slip into despair. And we'll be talking a little bit more about that. Now, it's quite likely that none of you have ever done that, and I may be the only person in this room. And if that's the case, then please bear with me for the next 20 minutes while I unburden my soul. But maybe some of you had a similar thing, so come along for the ride. When we were first married, Luann and I lived, uh, we met at McMaster University in Hamilton, Ontario, and that was the best thing that ever happened to me in university. And the second thing, best thing that ever happened to me in my life was meeting Luann, and she married me, and she still marries me. It's like crazy, and I'm very thankful for that. We lived in a small um, walk-up apartment in kind of a funky, there, there actually are funky places in Hamilton, Ontario. People don't believe me. Um, but it's um, a little bit like Osborne Village in the exchange. It's kind of that kind of vibe. And we lived in the second floor of, uh, of a house. And um, yeah, it was just kind of neat. The place we always liked to hang out. And even though we couldn't afford to eat out in the restaurants there, we just enjoyed watching people. Um, so I was going to seminary at the time. By this time, we had been married a couple of years, and Luann was working as a labor and delivery nurse in Hamilton and really enjoying her job, and I was studying to be a pastor. I was in my second year of seminary, and um, that's another long story. But anyway, I was doing that. And so in the morning, I would get out and read my Bible at our little rickety kitchen table and look out the window And what did I see? I saw this guy's Porsche 928, white, parked out my window. And right beside it was a Mazda RX-7. Now, these pictures don't do these cars justice because they are beautiful cars. They're both white. And um, the the Mazda was owned by a, a, a... very um, fashionably dressed young woman. We called her the balloon lady because she ran a balloon store. So she was the balloon lady. And um, the Porsche, we found out later, was uh, owned by a, a very, her boyfriend, who was a very wealthy stockbroker. Um, his name was Shik Patel. I called him Slick because he was just covered in jewelry and was very affluent and so I'd be there reading my Bible, trying to connect with God, and I'd keep looking out the window at these cars, and I'm going, ah, oh, Lord, I'm really grateful for our <laughs> Nissan Sentra. It was Luann's first real car, and, and, she, and it was fun to drive. It's a standard, man, like that's a real car. If you drive a standard transmission, so much fun. And it lasted a long time, and it died a noble death, and we gave it away to somebody but you see what I'm saying? You know, like there's a Porsche and a Mazda and a Sentra, you know? <laughs> and so what I struggled with a lot was 
envy. I just was looking at these cars and thinking, okay, yeah, I'm going to seminary. I'm, it's going to be a very lucrative career. It's going to be great. No, I'm just kidding. And, um, but it's, it was just a struggle for me personally. And then I stumbled across this psalm, or rather God led me to this psalm, Psalm 73 that I'm going to share. And it kind of, it was my story. And it goes like this. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Often the psalm starts out with, hey, God's awesome. And then by verse 2, it's like, but here's the problem, okay? Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. Why? Anybody do any hiking this I sure hope you're getting out in creation on the weekends. That's why we're doing this whole thing. Doing any hiking on the weekends, you know what it's like to, you know, your footing, you're not sure of your footing, and slippery rocks and crossing rivers and things like that. The writer, Asaph, had nearly lost his foothold. Why? Because he envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. So probably he was having his devotions, looking out the kitchen window, and looking at the Porsche and the Mazda RX-7 and thinking, well, God, thank you for my Nissan. <gasps> you know, he's wiping off the drool off his Bible and getting back to, you know, focusing on, on his relationship with God. But this was a struggle, and it's a real struggle. If we're honest, it's a genuine struggle. I know the, the Psalms up to this point that we've been looking at have been creation Psalms, and that's good. Lots of Psalms talk about God as creator, and and we need to focus on that and reorient ourselves. But in this particular psalm, um, the author is just sharing his struggle, his heart struggle, with being envious. Now, he goes on for the next 10 verses or so, saying, you know, um, things like, you know, the, the, the wicked don't have any problems, they just get richer, and they... Yeah, nothing ever bad ever happens to them, which, of course, we didn't know. We, we know that's not true. But, and you can read it when you get home. It's about 10 verses of whining. And it's okay to whine to God. I think God wants to hear our hearts and wants to hear our struggles. So Asaph, the author, he's just whining. He's complaining to God. And, you know, this is what the wicked are like, you know. Always free of care. They go on amassing wealth. I read recently how the world's top 1% have... I couldn't finish the article because I didn't want to go back and have to read the psalm again. But you just the world's 1% is just getting wealthier and wealthier and wealthier. And there's a huge growing disparity between the very rich and the very poor. And that's going to cause us problems down the line. But that's what the psalmist is saying. Back then, even... He said, that's what the wicked are like, always free of care. They go on amassing wealth. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. It's not fair. It's not fair. You know, they've got all the money and I don't and they don't have any problems and I'm just surrounded with trouble. It's not fair. All day long I've been afflicted and every morning brings new punishments. Wow, think about that phrase. Oh, what a beautiful morning. Oh, what a beautiful... Every morning brings new punishments. 
pretty, pretty depressing, isn't it? If I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. So it's, it's good to voice our frustration, but we have to make sure that it doesn't spill over into bitterness and poison our relationships. If I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. And when I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply. Till I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. If you could chart the emotional ups and downs of this psalm, it starts off, you know, surely God's good to Israel, to those who trust him. But for me, you know, it just goes straight down, you know. There's nothing fair. Um, everything's miserable. Everything's black. And he just hits bottom. And he's kind of wallowing there. But he has enough wherewithal, enough self-awareness to say, man, even though every day I wake up and bad things happen to me every morning, if I spoken out this, I would have betrayed your children. I would have dragged everybody else down with me. So I don't want to do that. But I don't get it. I don't understand all this. It troubles me deeply. And then finally, he enters the sanctuary of God. Now, what exactly does that mean? Did he go to church? Maybe. Maybe. You know, there was a temple there to worship. But when you think also of the sanctuary, you think of a safe place, a quiet place to connect with God. So he may have been sitting at his kitchen table, still listening, looking at the sports cars out the, out the window, but he was, he was entering into that, that special place with God. And that's why I've been giving you these pieces of paper with the examine to practice and learn how to do all summer. What if you haven't done it yet? That's okay. The summer's not even half over. You can conquer this. You've got this. But go through it. Just, t- just try going through it. Somebody unexpectedly out of the blue said, Rick, I tried the examine this week. Oh, how'd it go? Oh, it's good. When did you feel close to God? Blah, blah, blah. When did you feel far away from God? Blah, blah, blah. Okay, good. You're getting it, you know? So he entered the sanctuary of God to get perspective on what's really, really important. Sometimes the sanctuary of God might be a church building. Sometimes, for some of us, the sanctuary of God is being out in creation, looking at the stars or collecting sea glass. It's sea glass. It's not lake glass. It's sea glass, right? And, or, and just paying attention to the beauty of what God is making, right? That gives us that perspective. When we enter the sanctuary of God, then I understood their final destiny. Ah, okay. Surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. All these people who seem so well-established and so affluent and so happy without apparently living life without God from our perspective. That doesn't tell the whole story. This guy, Shik Patel, who owned the Porsche, I actually met him a, a few months later after this, and I've been talking to him about some investment stuff. It, we had a paltry sum and thought that RSPs might be a good idea, so I talked to him, and, and uh, we just started talking about a retirement. And I said, so, Shik, what are you going to do after you retire? 
Oh, I'm going to travel the world and do all this and that. Okay, good, cool. And what are you going to do after that? What do you mean? What are you going to do after you die? I don't know. Maybe I'll come back as a fish or something, or I'll get recycled, or I don't know, you know. And I said, oh, that's, that's interesting, you know. But you might want to think about that, like your post-retirement retirement plan. So we had just a little bit of a talk. I wasn't trying to dump on them or attack them. I was just thinking, and in that conversation, God made, gave me perspective. It's easy to be envious of people who seem to have more stuff than we do and seemingly don't have any trouble. Why? Because we look on the outside. Now, this was way before social media was a thing, before Insta came along, or Facebook, or anything, or TikTok, or anything else like that, right? And now we, can, we compare and despair all the time. But it was such an interesting conversation I had this guy with this guy. I think God arranged it to give me some perspective on Surely you place them on slippery ground, you cast them down to ruin. I don't wish bad things on him just because he drives a Porsche. Maybe I could borrow it once in a while. But, you know, it, I don't wish him ill. But when we get so bogged down, so caught up in comparing ourselves to other people, it just opens the door to misery. Teddy Roosevelt said, Comparison is the thief of joy. That's worth remembering. Comparison is the thief of joy. You can be feeling pretty good about life and pretty thankful, and then you see something that someone else has got, and you're going, huh. It starts off, I was thinking about it, it starts off in grade one, you know? When I was a kid, you, you had a special lunchbox, and you, you know, it was a special design or whatever, and you wanted the coolest lunchbox, and you line it up and compare it with every other, everyone else's lunchbox. It's like, huh, I wonder, you know, where, where do I rate, you know, in the lunchbox gang? And then uh, you get to high school, and you've got to have the right pair of jeans, the right kind of jeans. And when I was in high school, yes, I once went to high school. There were high schools once when I was that old, but... Um, my high school was actually started in 1854, but I was not there the first year. Okay? <laughs> but, just a kid. But you had to have the right kinds of jeans, and they had to have this little orange tag on the back right pocket, and that's how you knew you had the right kind of jeans. And you start looking around saying, oh, do they have a little orange tag on their back right pocket? Are they wearing the right kinds of jeans? Sometimes people would prank people by coming along and ripping off that orange tag, which is like, like assault. You know, you're ruining my jeans. How could you do that? But it's just an example of how we, you know, we compare lunch boxes, and then do we have the right pair of jeans? And then what kind of car am I driving? What kind of house do I, what, you know, all these things. We compare ourselves with other people, and that can lead to despair and dissatisfaction and just plain grumpiness, you know? It's, it's insidious. It's really insidious. And the psalmist here realizes, this, this troubles me deeply. I don't get it. It seems like wicked people are getting scot-free. They're getting off scot-free. It's not fair. And it, he had to get reoriented by entering the sanctuary of God 
just sitting quietly with creator and thinking, okay, what's really important in life? Am I deeply loved? Yes. Am I deeply loved? Are you deeply loved? Say yes. Are we deeply loved? Oh, there it is. By the way, if you want to come in and pray under the God-loved sign after the service, that's a good place to start, okay? God-loved, that's us. But it's so easy for us to get pulled away by lunchboxes and jeans with the right tag and cars, even nice sports cars, you know, those kind of things. It's easy for us to get pulled off track, right? But God is saying, the psalmist is saying, you place them on slippery ground, you cast them down to ruin. And he's reflecting back after he starts getting this perspective. He, he slides down in the pit and he's slowly starting to come out again. His emotional health is coming up like this. And he says, when my heart was grieved and my spirit was embittered. Now, it, it's okay to grieve. It's good to grieve. It's healthy for us to grieve. But what happened he couldn't manage the grief well, and it got out of control, and he became embittered, embittered. It just, uh, the bitterness just lodged in his soul, and it ate him up like a cancer. I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Um, it's a little bit like, I'm going to talk a little bit of, of brain biology right now. Um, we have this, alarm center in the middle of our brain called the amygdala. And it's like an alarm center. When something bad happens, um, it, it gets set off, right? And, but sometimes in response to um, trauma or uncontrolled circumstances, it gets more, sen- more sensitized and will go off more quickly. But anyway, when our amygdala goes off, imagine it's, this is the amygdala, we can flip our lid. We go, it's not fair. All those rich people are getting away from murder, with murder. All those godless people. It's not fair. I've got problem, new problems every morning. It's not fair. And his grief was giving, turning into bitterness, and he was flipping his lid. And what he needed to do with the help of the Holy Spirit, say, it's all right. It's okay. Let's enter the sanctuary of God. Let's get a little bit of perspective here. Let's calm down. Let's try thinking, with, try thinking with the front of your brain rather than your lizard brain and reacting. Give yourself about that three seconds to say, wait a minute, I'm not going to react. I will respond to the situation. Calm down and get that perspective. So see, when we're senseless and ignorant, like it says in verse 22, I was a brute beast before. We do all kinds of things when we flip our lid and, and, and go to despair. Right? We just totally lose perspective. And when he, he realized he was grieved, and were even worse than being grieved, he was embittered. He was, he's giving himself over, just getting swallowed up in this flipping his lid thing. Then he remembers, yet I'm always with you, God. You hold me by my right hand. When our kids were small, they used to hang on with a death grip. They'd hang on to my little finger like this, with their little hand. And it was really cute. But you never cross the street like that. <laughs> never, ever, ever. They might have daddy. 
But what do we do when I cross the street? Death grip. I, I'd hang on to them for dear life, and I would not let go. And so God is always with us. You hold me by my right hand. We might think, oh, I'm hanging on to God. I'm hanging on to Jesus. But Jesus has got us in his grip all the time. And we can fight it. We can resist that love, but we're still in the grip of that love. You hold me by my right, by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you'll take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. Oh my goodness, the elevator's going all the way back up, isn't it? You know, in the, in the first half of the psalm, he's like saying, every day I've got new problems, thanks God. And now it's like, I, you know, there's nothing really on this planet that I care about besides you, God. That's amazing. Thank you so much. My flesh and my heart may fail. You know, we're all going to die. It's inevitable. We are all going to die someday. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. That's what's going to last into eternity until I get a new body that never wears out. But that's the beauty of Psalm 73. And it's just a warning, an invitation to us. We can give in to comparison which lead to despair. And when, we, when we're tempted to do that, we need to get that perspective, enter into the sanctuary of God, do the examine or something else, just reorient ourselves, get recalibrated, basically straighten ourselves out with the help of Holy Spirit, on what's really important, and pay attention. And then allow the grace of God to just kind of renew us from the inside out. Um, comparison steals our joy. Don't let comparison steal your joy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you that you love us like crazy. You will never abandon us. For those of us who struggle with comparison to other people, uh, I pray that you deliver us from that temptation, from that trap. Help us to be wise in our use of social media. Protect us from doom scrolling. Protect us from just aimlessly wasting time and, and, and getting sucked into the void. Give us the grace to enter into creation, to get perspective on life and what's really important and then to live out the gospel. And I pray for our gathering tonight, Lord, that you would bless this church, guide us into the future, and provide everything we need to fulfill the mission that you've entrusted us with. We pray these things confidently in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Friends, we're dismissed. The prayer room's open. If you want to hang out and pray, the kids have gone off somewhere probably still in the property somewhere um, hang around and mingle and go play outside go play inside whatever but bless you this week live in persons for summer worship services Wednesday starting 6pm for a family meal and 7pm for service
Instagram at Kokona Park Alliance.